know I say this every week, but I love those stories. Um, man, God's just working in our church. And uh, what, it doesn't matter what campus we're at, man, it's just awesome to see God changing lives. And that's why we exist. Uh, I just love hearing those stories. And just even uh, one of the things that he didn't even really say, you maybe alluded to it, the first guy in the video, his name's Tim Gantz. Um, incredible, incredible story. He uh, actually moved to Greenville from California, uh, was heavily involved in drugs and drinking and different things, and just needed a change of scenery. And for whatever reason, I guess he's run, running away, went to, came to Greenville from California on the other side of the country and started attending our church and came to uh, a Getting to Know You event. And at that Getting to Know You event, it was like, hey, I don't know Jesus, and came to know Jesus and then from there, he's like, I want to get plugged in, kind of had some, um, I don't know, experience and production technical stuff. And so he was voluntold to uh, help out on our production team. <laughs> and so he started doing that. And now what he does, I kid you not, and this is what he, he's tried other jobs and he's like, I'm just not happy. And so he's uh, like a full-time Uber driver. And what he does is he looks at it as a ministry because of what God has done in his life. He takes these little invite cards, nothing fancy. You've seen them. They're like little square cards that have our service times. And he knows. I mean, he's experiencing people who are like just talking uh, about their life, what's going on, and he's able to share Jesus. And, and he, uh, he shares this with a lot of people, but he says, the end of my day is not at success. I don't, I don't determine my success on how much money I've made. What I determine it on is how many of those invite cards that I hand out, how many conversations about Jesus did I hand out? And I just think that's so incredibly awesome. And so today we're wrapping up this one kind of three-week series, but it's launching our two-year initiative in this. If you're a first-time guest uh, or have been checking us out, man, you, you've picked a great time to kind of see the heart, kind of pull back the curtain and see what our church is all about, to really understand our heart of why we're doing this. Uh, we've been on this journey. We're starting a two-year kind of initiative to say, hey, the next two years, we want to be intentional about some things. We want to be intentional about who we are as a church and why, why we exist. And so we talked about the first week being we're, we're one church. We want to be unified. Man, so many churches are a hot mess because everybody's arguing about stupid stuff. Maybe you've had a really bad church experience, and it probably uh, has to deal with deacons who were abusive or, you know, friends who just couldn't get on the same page or these people had all the money, so they had all the power. We're not like that as a church. You know, I mean, we're a family. We're going to have dysfunction. We have Cousin Eddie's, all right? We all do. But at the same time, we want to be unified. And it doesn't matter how many campuses we have. It's five campuses. We're one church. And then last week, we looked at the prayer of Isaiah who says, here I am, send me. And we want that to be our hearts. God, just use me. Whatever that looks like, just God, use me. The talents that you've given me, I just want to step in obedience. I want to do what you've called me to do and, and just follow after you. We want to be people who are walking in obedience that way. And so that brings us to this morning, which is one life. And this is really, and we're going we're gonna to conclude with a co uh, commitment time, but this is really, okay, who has God put on your heart and in your life and in your circle or sphere of influence that you know desperately needs Jesus. And so my question to you this morning, you don't have to raise your hand, okay? 
But something that just keeps ringing in my brain, and I have to ask myself this too, but have you ever led someone to Jesus? Think about that. Has there ever been a time that maybe over a period of time, over a multitude of conversations, maybe it was, maybe it was a moment, but maybe after lots of prayer, lots of conversations, lots of um, long dialogue and deep th- thinking, answering this, doing your own research or whatever, have you ever had a time where maybe it was a friend, family member, co-worker came to you and said, hey, I really appreciate those words you praying for me, that conversation, that series of conversation, conversations, I need Jesus. The unfortunate and sad thing is that for many of us in this room, statistics show that the majority of us will die before ever having one of those conversations. That many of us will die and never lead someone to Jesus. So there's a tension there because Jesus One of his last words on earth before ascending to heaven was to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, you know, in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what in the world are we doing, right? I mean, let's be frank. What are we doing? Are we willing and uh, do we want to see people come to know Jesus? Now, hear me out. You know this about me. You know this about our church. If you call this church home, Man, like, I was, I drove through downtown, what day was that? Wednesday? And I was driving through downtown Greenville, and I was like, what is that sound? So I rolled down my window, and there's the guy in the corner with a huge megaphone saying, everybody's going to hell, even the pastor, you know? Everybody's, you know, called to damnation, called everybody else different names, used the scripture out of context. And, I, you know, I, I don't know about you, I've never seen someone say, you know what, I need Jesus. Let me stop screaming at me. Thank you for yelling, you know? But, you know, churches and and people and Christians get a bad rap with those things. I'm not saying that. But there are people in our sphere of influence that we desperately love, that desperately need Jesus. And oftentimes, our pride, our schedule, fear, whatever, fill in the blank, get in the way. And I don't know about you, just being blunt. I don't know if it'll be like this or not, but I don't want to stand before God And God say, hey, I brought so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so into your life, and you never told them about Jesus. Because I was prideful, or I didn't know what to say, or I was like, that's the pastor's job. I don't have a seminary degree. I don't know scripture like that. What if I say the wrong thing? So I just didn't do it. I passed up on the opportunity. And you and I both know, because I've dealt with it, We've had people, we've specifically, God, give me an opportunity to tell someone about Jesus. God provides that opportunity, and we're, like, and we're sissies, and we don't take it. Then we walk away feeling guilty and ashamed, and we're like, God, give me another one. I'll do it again, and the next one comes, and we don't take them up on it, right? That's the fact. And so how are we going to get there? And that's what this commitment this morning is really all about, this one life, this one thing, this one person to say, hey, I'm going to intentionally pray for and look for conversations that I can begin to have. Not weird, awkward conversations, okay? Don't be that person. But I can begin to have those conversations about who Jesus is. And what I love is that if you are a believer and God has transformed your life, man, your story is like one of the greatest tools that you can say, this is how God's changed my life. Now, people can argue 
Was Jesus really real? Is the Bible really true? Does it have errors? Does this, did this really take place? Isn't there more ways to heaven than just Jesus? We can argue about that. And a lot of, a lot of times in those conversations, since I don't believe the Bible, I don't believe what you teach at church, and so I don't believe anything. But one of the things that people cannot argue against is if you've had a personal experience with Jesus and he's changed your life, they can't argue against that. Like, I've never met someone where you go to him and like, hey, God's totally changed my life. Man, I used to do this. I used to desire this. I knew I was empty. You know, like for me, I was 14. I was empty, had no purpose in my life. I prayed, God, I didn't even know the purpose of my life, even as a 14-year-old punk skater kid, right? Skate or die. And, and then the next day, I go to church, and in total God way, the preacher talks about the purpose of life. I give my life to Jesus. And I, while I struggled with things, like God transformed my life. I'm not going to share that with somebody and be like, nah, that didn't happen. Like, no, it did. It happened in my life. And oftentimes, we want to see that happen, but are we willing to really see that? Like, do we want to see that happen, and are we willing to see that happen? And it all stems from kind of this bottom line. This is kind of be a launching pad for the message this morning. But we cannot, you cannot help the lost until you hurt for the lost. And here's what I mean by this. Many of us in church, especially in the Bible Belt, we are numb to the fact that people all around us are dying, and if they were to die, that they would spend eternity in hell. I know it's not comfortable. We have preachers and churches that teach there's no such thing as hell. If that's not in the Bible. The Bible is clear. There's hell. Our default, me and you, is hell. All right? Not to be fire and brimstone, it's the truth. It's what's in Scripture. There's no denying it. There's no skirting around it. You can't say, well, that's not really. Okay, it's there. In order for us to get to heaven, we have to have a relationship with Jesus, a point of surrender to Jesus. But in the Bible Belt of the South, we either, one, make the assumption that everybody's a Christian, everybody knows, and made a decision for themselves, so we're not going to talk about it. Or we're like, hey, you know what, I'll pray for you, or we kind of know, but we become apathetic. And we become numb to the fact that they're dying and going to hell. And so we have to, in order for us to really be passionate and to share and be intentional with our one, we have to hurt for the one. It has to bother us that people are going to hell. It has to bother us, not that, that we're just like, okay, that's kind of my pride's going to get in the way. We have to agonize that there are people, there are family members, you know, like, and you would even not in a joking fashion say, yeah, they are going to hell. But it should bother you. It should be something that you can't sleep over, that you're like, man, I need to share Jesus with them. How do I do that? And then when we reach that point, then it becomes a priority in our lives to say, hey, that person needs Jesus. I, I, need, to, I need to begin to pray to form a relationship with that person. I'm so thankful that 14-year-old me, a punk who was empty, there were some uh, kids that invited me to church, and that was a avenue to come to know Jesus. They began to pray for me and to invite me to things. And I remember going to church, and I'm like, oh, man, all these, you know, pleated khaki dorks, you know, or wearing these things at church or whatever. And then I started like, well, they're a real deal. There's like purpose in their life, and they love me. I don't look anything like them. Man, let us be passionate about those who don't know 
Jesus. And we get to this story in the Gospel of Mark, probably one of my favorite stories in the Gospel of Mark chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me there. It'll also be on the screens. You can download the app. You have a Bible app, church app. You know, there's all kinds of different ways that you can look it up. But in Mark chapter uh, 2, we see at this point, to kind of give us some context, I love the Gospel of Mark because it's pretty poignant and direct. The first um, chapter is really like, hey, John the Baptist came, prepared the way. Jesus came. He was baptized. He was tempted by the devil. He started his ministry. And then you have chapter two. All right. So all that's in chapter one. It, was, it wasn't fancy. It was straight to the point. And in chapter two, we're at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry. He just called his disciples. He's coming back to a town called Capernaum. But word is getting out that he's already healed some people. He's teaching, teaching some things that are like, okay, I can, I can jive with that. Like, what's going on there? And we get to this incredible story. So follow along with me. Mark chapter 2, uh, verses, uh, uh, starting in verse 1, we'll go to 12. It says, And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. So Jesus comes home. Everybody wants to see him and hear about him. How's everything going? He's in this house. Scholars believe there's roughly probably about 50 people in this house, which most of us have bigger homes than ancient Israel. Okay. And I would imagine if 50 people are in my house, I'm like, get out. Okay. I love y'all, but get out. No, just kidding. But think about that. It's crowded. You can't even open the door. People are there. All right. And so uh, and Jesus is just teaching. He, maybe he's sharing some things from the Old Testament. Maybe he's sharing some stories about his adventures and people healing. Maybe he's just throwing some, some insight about who God is and who he is. But it's crowded. And we see in verse 3, And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. So these four friends come carrying a mat on each corner. They're carrying this paralyzed man. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. No big deal. Just remove the roof, okay? And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on the paralytic, uh, that, on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes, those are religious uh, leaders, were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And I love this. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves. All right. So Jesus being Jesus, I love this. Before they even said anything, he knew what was in their hearts and what they wanted to say, even though they were keeping it to themselves. And so he calls it out, right? He, he knows what, the, what, they're, what they're thinking in their hearts. And so he says this, why do you question these things in your hearts? And they're like, how did he know? We didn't even say anything, all right? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And then he rose and immediately picked up his bed and he went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified saying, 
we never saw anything like this. That's an awesome story, isn't it? So awesome. So let's kind of look at this and say, all right, if we're going to reach people for Jesus, let's use this story as a catalyst to kind of compare and contrast some things that they see, these friends see as they're carrying their paralyzed friend to what we see. The first one, if you're taking notes, is that in order for us to reach people who don't know Jesus, we need to acknowledge the solution. We have to acknowledge the solution. These friends, while we don't know the depths of their knowledge about Jesus, especially since it's at the beginning, they knew that Jesus was the answer. He was the solution. We have a friend. He's paralyzed. Jesus has been healing people. Let's take our friend to Jesus. He's the solution. If you and I are going to reach people for, for Jesus, we need to know Jesus is the solution. The solution is, isn't read a self-help book. It isn't, hey, if you vote this way. It isn't if you listen to this podcast. It isn't even just do this devotional. It's Jesus, only Jesus. Jesus is the solution in this. If lost people are going to be found, they're found from G- with Jesus. If their lives are going to be radically changed, it's not by doing a bunch of great things. It's by knowing Jesus. The friends knew that. They acknowledged the solution. They're like, hey, come on. Let's bring our friend in this. Now, maybe they just knew that he would possibly heal their friend, and they just knew the physical stuff. But they knew that he was going to be, that Jesus was the solution. They didn't say to the paralyzed guy, man, that really stinks. I know you've been paralyzed your whole life. Have you read any books about being paralyzed? Maybe it will help, you know? I know that sounds insensitive, but think about it. They weren't like, hey, you could like maybe do some physical therapy, kind of get your act together, and then everything will be good. They didn't say, hey, we're just going to pray for you. They took action. They said, you need Jesus, and we're going to take you to Jesus. That was it. Now, what I love is that they get to Jesus... And they probably thought, okay, they're going to meet his physical needs. But notice in this, what does Jesus do first? He doesn't address the physical needs. He addresses what? The spiritual needs. He addressed the spiritual needs. He went beyond the surface level facade, went to the depths um, of this and said, hey, what is really important is that I'm going to forgive your sins. He knew the heart of the guy. He saw the faith of the men. And said, I'm going to forgive your sins. So he said, son, your sins are forgiven. I mean, they knew at that moment, man, this is the solution to everything. The spiritual needs need to be met. And so for us, we have to realize and acknowledge in our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, it's not a self-help book and all these other things. Man, they need Jesus. We need Jesus. You and I need Jesus. And they need Jesus. And so are we bringing people to that solution or are we pointing people to everything else that they need to do other than Jesus? And so often the church is really good at pointing at religion instead of Jesus. Let us not be like that. I'm so grateful that we're not at a church that's like that, that we could say, hey, you just need Jesus. It's Jesus. And they acknowledged that solution and that, um, and then he gets there and they meet, Jesus meets the spiritual needs First, so we need to do that. The second thing that they, they realize here and that we need to realize, we need to expect obstacles. When we're reaching people for Jesus, man, obstacles are going to happen. Schedules aren't going to combine. You know, things are going to take place. 
Uh, we're going to meet people or talk to people that just don't want to talk about Jesus, you know, and so take some additional prayer, you know, with some things. We got some difficult people in our lives that, man, like, I'll tell you, you probably know this. People who are super smart and analytical have a hard time with Jesus. It doesn't make sense in their, in their mind. It needs to be concrete. and it, It's like black or white. And so they, they struggle with the concept of faith and not being able to under, understand everything. So we're going to encounter people like that. We're going to encounter people that have been burned by the church. And there's a lot of them, unfortunately. I don't want to have anything to do with your church. I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. Because if those people really love Jesus, this would, this would happen or take place. Maybe we've hurt somebody. Maybe we have a past and there's tension. Maybe someone has hurt you. And you're like, yeah, they need Jesus, but it ain't coming from me, <laughs> you know? You're kind of like Jonah. Remember last week, here I am, God, I'm not going. It's kind of that. It's, it's this, this thing, and I kind of joked in first service, it, uh, I know I'm kind of making light. Have you seen that viral video of that lady on Family Feud? He's like, Holy Spirit, activate, activate. Remember? All together now. Never, never mind. All right. It's like one person knew that first service, so I'm glad you do. But it's like we have these moments where it's like, okay, Holy Spirit, man, I totally need you right now because I'm entering into this. I don't know what to say. This person needs Jesus. They don't want anything to do with it. I've messed it up. I've said something, whatever the case may be. And we needed to step into that obedience because there's going to be obstacles. There's going to be things. These guys are carrying their friend, they get there, and they're like, we're going to need to see Jesus. You're going to be, I can imagine, you're going you're gonna to be healed. You're going to see Jesus. He's going to heal you. They get there, and they're like, they open the door, it's full. You know what they could have said? They could have said, you know what, not today. It's not God's timing. You know, we just need to go back, maybe next Sunday. Maybe, maybe he'll heal you next Sunday and transform you then. We'll continue just to pray. We'll get around to it at some point, you know, when you don't have this and you don't have that. No, I can imagine if I was one of those guys, we carried you here. Today's the day, bro. This is a one-way trip. I'm not carrying you back. You know, I have faith. Jesus is going to heal you right now, and you're walking home. I'm not carrying you again. That's a long journey. All right, so they're like, okay, there's some obstacles here. We're going to overcome these things. The crowd, the door, whatever, is not going to stop us. And so we need to be able to persevere in that. And to say, okay, there's going to be obstacles. Okay, we're going to get through it. So the third and final thing that we see here that's going to be true of us is that we need to have the mentality to do whatever it takes. If we're going to reach our one, we need to have a mentality of, to do whatever it takes. Now, Craig Rochelle, he's a pastor out in Oklahoma, multi-megachurch, multi-site megachurch, um, he kind of coined the phrase probably, I don't know, 10 years ago, but he says this, and you don't have to agree with it wholeheartedly, but he says, we'll do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Jesus. And I get the heart behind that of we need to do whatever it takes to reach people. These guys, they could have said, man, we just, I don't know what's going on here. We can't get in there. I don't know how you're going to see Jesus, but they were innovative, or was what we like to say, redneck uh, engineers, okay? They had some ingenuity, all right? I can imagine these four guys are like, hey, let's step away for a second. Hey, you think, you think we can get him on the roof? We don't want him to know that because he'll freak out, but let's, I think we can get him on the roof. And, and they said, hey, we're going on the roof. We're going up there. Now, 
I don't know a lot about the um, engineering of roofs then. Most say it was sticks and clay and dirt and stuff. Uh, and another gospel, this roof had a clay tile. Regardless, could you imagine five people getting up on these roofs of ancient Israel? I probably wouldn't trust it. They had some faith on a whole nother level, right? But they cut a hole. They're like, we're going to do whatever it takes. This guy, our friend, he needs Jesus today. And so we're cutting this hole, and they lower him at the feet of Jesus. And in that moment, Jesus sees him and says, son, your sins are forgiven. And he says he sees their faith, the friend's faith. They were willing to do whatever it takes. So often, we're like, I'm drawing a line in the sand. I'll do everything but that, 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 this, that, and the other. I'm going to go right up here, but I can't do all that over there. Or I'm just scared. I don't know what to say. What if this? What if that? And so it paralyzes us. But we need to have the mentality of to do whatever it takes. Now, one side point in this before we kind of go to a commitment time. Do you notice what the religious leaders are doing in this? They should be like, oh my goodness. This guy's sins were just forgiven. And then what I love is that Jesus is like, hey, which one's easier to the religious leaders? Which one's easier? As they're questioning and like, ah, oh, you know, who is this dude? As they're questioning, they say, or he says, hey, which one's easier? For me to forgive his sins or to tell him to rise up and walk? He doesn't even give him a chance to answer. He pretty much says, hey, take this mic. Hold my mic for a second. Watch this. He says, rise, get up, take your mat and walk. And that joker gets up and grabs his mat, and he's like, see ya, I'm out of here, I'm healed. And it says he then goes home glorifying God, and then everybody else in the room, we don't know their spiritual condition, they see what just took place, they begin to glorify God, and they all say, I've, we have never seen anything like this before. But the religious leaders are over there going, hmm, this isn't right. Who is Jesus? They're totally missing the point. We can't, we can't be like that. We can't be so rigid in religion and tradition and whatever that we miss lives being radically changed by the gospel. We have to go after the one, right? We have to go after the one. So in, this morning when you came in your seats, you see one of these envelopes. And just as a reminder, if you're a first-time guest, man, this does not apply to you. I don't want you to feel like you're signing your life away, okay? We do this. This is our second time doing this in a, in a two-year time frame. We did it two years ago, but wholeheartedly believe this vision, this mission of our hearts. And we've been talking about this. And on this, I just want to walk through this. I want everybody to grab one of these. And just kind of walk through this. As, as Catherine mentioned, this is Commitment Sunday. This is just a good practical way. You see, first service, there's cards. You need one of these per family. Over the last three weeks, we talked about a lot of stuff. And um, you might be saying, a commitment card? I mean, seriously, Dustin? I get it, all right? Most people have problems with commitment cards because that means you have to actually make a commitment. And, and that's okay to challenge you with that. But on this commitment card, you really have three sections on here that, as we've talked about, the first one being that we commit to be one church, that we're going to be a promoter of unity, that it doesn't matter what campus I go to, what campus I attend. Man, we're one church. And what happens at Harrison Bridge is just as important as what happens at Five Forks. What happens at our downtown Simpsonville campus, uh, at Malden, at Anderson, you know, 
Whatever happens, man, we're one church. We're united. And I'm going to commit to be a promoter of that unity. I'm not going to stir up strife and talk trash um, unless it's to Dallas. You can do that on my accord, okay? But anyway, if this, this being unified in this, say we're in this together. We're in this boat together. We want to see people come to know Jesus together. We're in this mission and vision together. If that's you in that first box, you can check that off, okay? Now, the second one is what we talked about last week, that we commit to one prayer. And that one prayer is that every single one of us are committing to say, God, use me. I don't know what that looks like, but God, use me. You've given me talents and gifts. Maybe that's to serve in preschool or nursery or kids or with students or on our production team or in the parking lot or our host team, whatever. We use that way. Maybe it's to lead a Bible study, but God, just use me. It's Isaiah saying, here I am, send me. And that takes sacrifice, that takes surrender, but if that's you, you check that. Now you will see, I don't want you to get hung up on this, especially if you're a guest, you're checking us out, you know, we are not a church. I I hope you don't feel this way because we definitely are not. I'm not up here doing a six-week stewardship campaign and talking about how you should give your money every single week, okay? I get that. Most churches are famous for that. We're not like that. Man, that's between you and God, but it is an act of obedience. We believe in the Bible that Believers should give 10% of their income at a minimum um, to the church um, so that we can go and reach the world. And, and so you see some lines there, and maybe you just want to take a step. Maybe you don't give, and you want to do this. This is over a 24-month period, so this is two years. So if you normally give, you just multiply that by two. Hopefully you can do math, okay? Um, it took me a while, too. I'm remedial. But you do that. Put your, your current giving, hey, what you want to give in the next 24 months. Or maybe you want to give a, uh, a one-time gift. There's a line there in that. And let me tell you a couple of things that this is going to help provide, okay? You can look in your one book if you didn't get one. Uh, there's a lot of different ways that we're doing this to meet families in need. We do a lot of projects in our community, whether it's replacing roofs, helping families in need that way, doing construction in their homes, different things. Uh, let me tell you what that means for us specifically as a campus and for all of our campuses. It's actually one of the biggest components is f- uh, facility stability. I'm trying to say that fast, okay? And what that means is, okay, we, uh, some of you know this, we lease this space. We signed a five-year lease. And we're coming up on the end of our three years. And so we have two years left. So many of you are like, hey, what do we do? Man, God's been doing amazing, amazing things. Well, something that you can pray about and our finances will go to is actually uh, expanding into the doctor space next to us. So there's some conversations that are being had. Nothing's finalized, you know, in that. But just praying. What does that look like? Man, it would be awesome. Our students need a space. Man, for us to have space for, for you as adults to, to meet on Sunday mornings in small group, that's maybe may, might be convenient, more convenient for you. All those different things, you know. Uh, Harrison Bridge is busting at the seams. They need to kind of rework their worship space in that. And so there's all these different things financially for us to be able to be a part of. So just know that you're doing that. And just on a side note, 80 families have already turned in this card and have committed uh, just over $2 million for this. Now, I say that to celebrate, not a, oh, they gave, I don't have to. Man, be a part of this, all right? Be a part of this. So that is saying, hey, God use us. And the third one is what we just talked about. We commit to one life 
I, we commit to bring others to Christ through prayer and intentional relationships. My or our one is, and there's a blank for you to fill in a name. That you would be reminded of that name, that this is, this is just a card, okay? But that you would be faithful and what you're marking down, what you're committing to this morning, that you would fill those things out. And here's what I, I want to do. Uh, I messed up first service and totally got out of whack. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you time as a family to talk through this a little bit. Give you two to three minutes. You know, there's no pressure. Listen, if you don't want to give, I know that sounds horrible, don't give. But we're a generous church, and I, I feel like God is telling you to take a step of obedience. Give something. Take a step of obedience in your faith with him. And so do that. I mean, God is going to do amazing things through this, and it's going to take every single one of us. If you've been here from the beginning, three years ago, if you're brand new, you know, God is going to do something. And while it begins with unity, it ends with people coming to know Jesus. I pray for the day. Honestly, I know this is selfish, but I pray that every Sunday we see people getting baptized. Not just once a month, every Sunday. Because you and I are playing our part in reaching people for Jesus. And so this is what we're going to do. I'm going to give you just a couple minutes to pray. Um, the band's going to pad a little bit, and then I'm going to come up, and I'm going to close this in prayer. And that will be the time after I pray. You can, after your conversations, you can put your commitment card in an envelope and you can bring it up here to join with all the others. And just know this, I will not lay my eyes on this. I have no clue what you give ever. There's two people in our finance department that will see this for data and for you and your financial books and all that kind of stuff. I will never see this. It's between you and God. I hope you step in obedience this morning. So take a couple minutes. Think about it, and I'll close us in prayer in just a few. I hope that was enough time, but I don't want you to feel rushed, okay? And um, I'm going to pray, and the band's just going to lead. And however you feel led, whenever you're ready, you can bring them down here and just place them. Really as a symbol of just saying, hey, we're committing, we're sacrificing. And if you're a first-time guest, I know this can feel a little weird. I get that. I hope it is a good testimony of, man, this church is generous. You are a generous, generous church. And uh, this campus specifically, man, it's so awesome to hear how God is using you and being faithful. So let me pray for us, and then um, we'll just step into that time. Father, I pray that even this morning, even before, I mean, God, you've been working. You've been placing it on our hearts. What does it mean for us to be one church, to have one prayer? God, use us and intentionally go after one life. And I know it's a lot, and in some ways, it seems like a daunting task. But God, you tell us to take steps in that obedience. And so let today, Commitment Sunday, be a mark of just the beginning that of, of our lives, stepping in obedience with you. So much bigger than cards, but saying, God, we're giving you and surrendering our lives. We just want to be used by you. We want to see lives radically changed by you. And so we're stepping into that. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes to go anywhere and do exactly what you want to see that happen. It's in your son's name we pray.